Welcome to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with Bill Grothy. In 2019, at the age of 96, Bill was inducted into the South Dakota Hall of Fame for his lifetime of work documenting the history of the region with his camera. Bill was born in South Dakota in 1923 and fell in love with photography at the age of 10. By the time he was 15, he was helping document the construction of Mount Rushmore. Over the years, he's photographed people from all walks of life, as well as heads of state. He's photographed Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, George Bush Sr., and George Bush Jr., as well as Barack Obama. But perhaps his most famous session was in 1948 when he photographed Nicholas Black Elk and the Akichita survivors of the battle they called the Greasy Grass, but is known to most as the Battle of the Little Bighorn, or Custer's Last Stand. Bill is a descendant of Norwegian grandparents who immigrated from Norway and settled in the Black Hills in the late 1800s. Bill starts our interview by remembering his father, Amos, who was superintendent of schools when Calvin Coolidge came to town. In uh, 1927, when President Coolidge came out here and and spent the summer in the Black Hills and dedicated the start of Mount Rushmore. Uh, my dad was superintendent, and Coolidge used his offices for three months that summer as the uh, summer White House. But then in 1929, my dad was uh, fired as superintendent because uh, the Klan was very active in this area, and uh, the, uh, they were against uh, Catholics, Jews, and blacks, of course, and we had only Catholics, and Dad was ordered to fire all the Catholics in the, uh, in the school system, the teachers, and he wouldn't, so they fired him in 1929. So for a couple of years, he... He just uh, took work uh, as a laborer. We had uh, 10 kids in the family at that time. And uh, so times were tough. But in uh, 32, he uh, won election as a county superintendent in Pennington County and retained that position for almost 40 years. So when he uh, his term of office ran out in... Uh, the 1st of June, 1969, and he died six weeks later. So uh, Dad worked until he died, just about. But he was a totally uh, in school systems here for over 50 years. Tell me a little bit more about the Klan and its activity here in uh, this area. Uh, well, the Klan was very active in this area, burning uh, crosses on lawns and... Uh, and in the area, and one wonders if there still aren't some around. But, uh, of course, I was very young, and uh, I was only six years old and 29. So I know what uh, a lot about what my family lost, but I didn't study the Klan, so uh, I was too young. So uh, all I know is from uh, what I can read is that they were very active for quite a while in this area against the Catholics. And, of course, at that time, a lot of the Protestant churches were even 
against the Catholics. And uh, the paradox is that my father was a Norwegian Lutheran graduate from St. Olaf, and, uh, but a, a great liberal. But, and so he refused to, yeah. to, to go along and fire people. Yeah. He wouldn't fire the Catholic teachers. They were good teachers, and he wouldn't do it. But uh, I f- feel uh, honored that he had the nerve to do such a thing in those days. We were uh, in the south part of town in a nice house, but we lived next to one of the pioneer photographers of this area, and that was Carl Rise. And he had a going business in Rapid City and, and had built a big building, had a photo finishing uh, operation that was very good. He had a camera store. And when I was 10, I bought a, my first camera from him and a developing tray and for a dollar each. And I started uh, shooting pictures and printing them when I was 10 and selling them to the neighbors, little snapshots for a nickel, so uh, that's how I started. When I was uh, 11, almost 12, I went to another studio uh, to try to get some uh, scrap paper and uh, and chemistry uh, to uh, print at home, and uh, that was Bell's studio, and Mr. Bell had come in here in 27, and as the uh, photographer, for the Chicago Northwestern Railroad, and uh, to photograph the Alex Johnson Hotel uh, and the Black Hills for their advertising. Well, the hotel in Rapid City was built by the railroad for the tourist industry. And so when it opened in 28, but Bird had come here from St. Paul, and uh, he saw Rushmore starting, so he opened Bell Studio, a commercial studio, in 1927, the same year that Rushmore started. And I went to work there. When I went up to try to get some chemistry and scrap paper, they put me to work. And uh, I was an apprentice there until I was 15, three years. And then I started to, to, uh, and I worked after school. I didn't get any pay until I was about 15. And uh, But uh, by then I was running the night shift doing overnight photo finishing for the tourists, 1937. What kind, of, what kind of things did they have you doing for free? Well, we lay out postcards on newspapers, and they were upstairs in a, in a loft studio where it was in the back of an upstairs downtown building. And I'd go after school and clean up or whatever they wanted me to do. But I learned to print and uh, to drive prints and squeegee them and, and gloss them on a, a ferriotype uh, glossy plate. That's how the gloss uh, was made, by squeegeeing them on a smooth uh, piece of metal and wringing them out, and that's, uh, I learned all those things and learned to print. They were a busy studio in the Depression, but they also didn't have much money. So uh, I just worked there because I liked it, and, uh, and I learned a lot. And I started to work 
printing at night in 1937 uh, and 38 when uh, I was 15. And uh, I just continued there until I went in the service in 1943. What did you do in the service? I was in photography in the lab and also in aerial uh, oblique shooting and vertical mapping, training in uh, Colorado and schooling in Denver at Lowry and and then overseas uh, in Italy for almost two years. Uh, most of the flying was done by P-38 pilots because then there was only one person on board and of course they could get to Germany quicker and get the pictures and we ran the lab and got the prints out for the for the bombs squadron which was uh, next door and uh, they take the information from the pictures and go on to Germany the next day to, for bom- bombing raids we had seven cameras in a P38 that's a twin engine fighter plane converted for reconnaissance and all the pilot did was trip the the gun trigger, on a, and uh, it would operate all seven cameras. The uh, altitudes and air speeds, ground speeds were all set into to intervalometers so that the the photographs would be sharp. Describe a P thirty eight for me. Well, a P thirty eight is a, a fighter plane essentially. It's a Lockheed. A beautiful aircraft with twin engines and twin booms. Uh, it was a high flyer and fast, and they could uh, uh, they converted that and stripped it down from all armament and converted it to camera plane for reconnaissance. It could fly high uh, when it needed to get over the flak, but before that they'd get the pictures at lower level. And then they could climb fast uh, because they were powerful and light, and they could climb above the flak and and uh, get back to Italy where we were stationed with the photographs. And our job when we got to Italy was mainly then uh, running the lab to process the film and get it to uh, the plotters who had to, there were uh, stereo pairs that they could plot and get the three-dimensional elements that would go to the uh, bomber squad, which was uh, just stationed at an air field right next to our reconnaissance field. And they they had B-17s with uh, P-51 escorts, and they'd take off the next morning and fly to Germany with a bombing mission. And your photos to to guide them, right? The photos from... Well, yeah, that's what reconnaissance is, of course, is to take photographs to get the the detail of the area so they have something to work with and they knew just where to go then and what the condition of the the uh, place was and so uh, they wanted to change his condition right right so, so what did you do after the war well i went back to the studio where i'd worked until 1943 in march uh, when I got, uh, got out of high school in uh, 41, I went to the School of Mines. I was in my second year at the School of Mines, a local college, and uh, I decided to enlist because I wanted to get into photo reconnaissance. 
because one of the local boys had come home and had spoken to us at the college and and told us about his uh, job as a reconnaissance pilot in the Navy. And so I enlisted then in, uh, right after Christmas and, uh, and went in in March in 1943. And I uh, was in the cadets, but then those, uh, those classes all got full. They had more pilots than they needed. But I was experienced in a lab, so I went right into photo. And uh, they pulled me out and and sent me to uh, mapping at Peterson Field in Colorado. And we uh, did some uh, practice flying and camera work from planes. But then I went to photo uh, school in Lowry in Denver for several weeks and learned how to repair cameras and install them in planes and repair the... Uh, the mechanical devices that operated the cameras. And then we uh, trained some more and went to Italy in 44. And I got home uh, in December of 45 from Italy. And and went to work in the uh, yeah, studio. I, yeah, I went back to work in the studio. I worked there for 12 years after the war. And in 1957, uh, I started my own business, my wife and I did, yeah, so... We've had our own business, and Bell Studio closed in 59. So tell me the story of the reunion of the survivors of the Battle of the Little Bighorn. What, what led up to that photograph? Well, actually, before the war, uh, we did a lot of work uh, photographing uh, natives for postcards because that was our major. We were a commercial studio. Mrs. Bell, uh, the wife of the founder, was a good portrait artist, so she did portraits. But uh, Bert Bell and the son, or stepson, Ned, uh, were more commercial photographers. So that was our training, and we did a lot of postcards, and we did a lot with Indian postcards. So after the war, when uh, there were only a few of these gentlemen left, I started to photograph them at different events, and rodeos and uh, dances uh, because they were disappearing fast. So I have a lot of photographs in 46 and 47 of them at different events. And uh, so then when uh, they started Crazy Horse Monument in June of 1948, I photographed that dedication. Three of the uh, survivors were there at that time. And uh, and so they decided they better find out how many were alive. There were nine alive, and they arranged this last reunion uh, three months later in the Custer Park. So, of course, I went there and photographed that reunion, and I was the only photographer there. Ned came. He had not come back to the studio because he'd been in the service also. That's the son of, or stepson of Bell. And he had started his own place in uh, Sioux Falls. But he came back, he still represented Fox Movie Tone News. So he came and shot a newsreel of that event. But uh, I shot stills, and that's, that's when I shot the group pictures of eight of them. The ninth survivor, Black Elk, did not... Uh, 
get in the group because he was blind at that time. And he didn't want to leave his tent and uh, be helped down the hill to get into the group. He's a very proud gentleman. And so uh, that's why he's not in the group. But then I took individual portraits of uh, the two oldest guys by the tent, uh, Iron Hawk and Black Elk, and they stayed in the tent that night. The other seven uh, were housed at the Sylvan Lake Hotel. And uh, when they went up there, I followed them up there and got a... uh, uh, apple crate out of the kitchen and posed them on the south lawn of the of the uh, Silver Lake Hotel, and that's where the other seven photographs were made. The two in front of the tent, they're sitting on a, a nail keg that I scrounged from someplace. I don't know. I didn't have a posing chair. <laughs> what were they like? Well, wonderful. I mean, very easy for me to photograph. They knew me. I'd been photographing them at dances several times, you know. So, But I was able to speak with them. They're all, except in the one shot where little soldier's looking down, while he was uh, actually probably not feeling as well because actually he died a month after I took the pictures. Little soldier. And he, uh, in the one shot, seated, he was looking down. But he was blind in one eye and maybe a little uh, uh, bashful about that, I don't know. But in the standing shot of the group, why, he's looking straight ahead and looks very fine. And who was Little Soldier? Little Soldier is the son of Sitting Bull. Uh, To my uh, knowledge, I get mostly from... Uh, relatives or from Bishop Jones, who was on the reservation for 50 years, uh, was uh, a son of Sitting Bull, only 13 at the battle. So uh, he was not considered a warrior, but I think he was, as I understand it, with the uh, women, and they had a job, of course, to do. So there are uh, different versions of that event. Uh, none of us were there, so I, I just try to to tell things that I'm quite sure of, and I think that's pretty well documented that he was a son of Sitting Bull, of course. Could they all speak English? Well, I don't know that all, but most of them certainly could understand and speak English. I think they were active in church, Episcopal church. In fact, the, uh, the one... Uh, uh, survivor uh, comes again uh, his family his descendants are active in the Episcopal Church I think three generations were Episcopal priests and one of them is still alive in California that two bulls family and that church that they sponsor with uh, on uh, the land I think it's the land that the, that uh, comes again got. But that church is there, and it's it's taken care of by one of the descendants. And uh, there's one of the two bulls that's still a Episcopal minister in California. So that day was was it a remarkable day for you? I mean, it, having those survivors there all in one place. I know you'd you'd photographed them a lot of different places. So was well, this a special day for you? 
Well, certainly a special day. I'm very honored to be able to do it. But, you know, they, they're very old. doesn't matter if they're 81 or 86 or whatever. They're old. They survived. They were, uh, they're in very good shape. I think they all died a natural death except one uh, high eagle was killed in an auto accident in Custer. Uh, but he was still alive in 51 when I photographed the 75th anniversary. See, these pictures were taken at the 72nd anniversary year, which, of course, is in June. These were taken in uh, in September, but that year was the 72nd year after the battle. And so three years later, uh, there were only three of them alive. And I photographed that... Uh, uh, event at the battlefield, 1951. So, were you uh, nervous about? It? I mean, did you had enough film, and you were confident that you you were getting the images that you needed? Well, I was very nervous because I only had uh, film enough to do exactly what. There was only one negative shot of each of those nine, because I'd been shooting all day, and I had every holder film holder, 5 by 7 film, that I owned, loaded. But I have many, many other pictures uh, of that day of groups and of flute players and children and the ladies and dancing. And it was very critical because uh, uh, I took two group shots, standing and seated, and I took uh, one photograph of each, on 5 by 7 film, and the last film was getting dark. These are made with a field camera with a good-sized lens and just a Packard shutter or air shutter. And the last one was Dewey Beard. It was getting dark, and that's a short time exposure. It was my last sheet of film, and I put a split back in the 5 by 7 camera and shot two 3.5 by 5 images on the same 5 by 7 film. And I could only use one of them because they they moved, he moved on both of them, but too much on one. And, and the one that I have is a 3.5 by 5 film and it shows slight movement, but not enough to matter too much. So when you got back to the lab, you were not sure what you had. Oh, I was pretty sure I had it. <laughs> I know all these questions about how scared you are. We always climbed the mountain. Nobody told us we couldn't. You know, I'm pretty sure of what I do when I shoot. I grew up making every every shot count, and without change, we shoot so we don't have to shoot it over. So you're pretty well trained, and we're confident you had it. Yeah, I am. I also shot 5 by 7 transparency film. So there are duplicate images on transparency film made in Germany, and those were stolen from me, and I've never gotten them back. But those images, were the man that took them was a writer, and I trusted him. His name is uh, uh, Humphreys Miller, and he was there present when I did the work. He was going to get the uh, the uh, story in the National Geographic, and of course, 
I was 25 years old, and I trusted him, and I've never gotten them back. He tried to sell them to the battlefield for $2 million several years ago, and they called me right away because they recognized that they were the same images that they had a set of. And, of course, uh, I intercepted him in uh, Gillette, Wyoming, and he had a man with him that was connected with Mount Rushmore at that time. And a good friend of this Miller, and he promised that he'd get the film back to me. But, of course, in uh, those days, we were so busy here in our, in our business, and I never, of course, heard from him again. That was Bill Grothy. Bill talked about being busy, and he was. Bill and his wife Alice ran their photo lab in Rapid City and four others in four Midwestern states. When COVID hit in 2020, Bill and Alice's lab closed and Bill got sick. He died on December 20th, 2020. Alice followed two years later on December 22nd, 2022. Today, Bill's photos of the Little Bighorn survivors are in collections around the world, including the Smithsonian. When the Little Bighorn survivors gathered on that day in 1948, Bill was the only photographer present, which was just the way these old warriors wanted it. They knew Bill because he had befriended them over the years, and he had treated them like his uncles, with respect and kindness. They called him Kid. The photos Bill took that day were iconic, not only because he was a great photographer, but because he was a humble, gentle man. If you'd like to see the photos talked about in this interview, type Bill Grothy, B-I-L-L-G-R-O-E-T-H-E, photos into your browser. Thanks for listening. <laughs>